And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And welcome to the show this morning. It's, of course, the second best day of the week as we get ready to wrap up today. The end of the second quarter, of course, it's also... The month of June behind us now, getting into a long weekend. Thank goodness it's been a week for that. So, uh, of course, we have the 4th of July weekend here um, as we kick off the second half of the year. The question, of course, now is will July be a little bit better month? That's going to be the big question for everybody. Now, when we talk about the markets, S&P is of yesterday down about 19.9% for the year. So continues to kind of flirt with that technical kind of bear market uh, measure of being down 20% for the year. That's a bear market. Of course, if you ask most people, uh, it's a bear market. I mean, you know, you just can't kind of really get anything going in the markets. Everything just kind of gets under pressure. And that's the way a bear market works. It just literally wears you out over time. It just it's very exhausting. Uh, being in a bear market. Uh, Interesting uh, statistic out this morning called the Dunning-Kruger effect. 31% of all people involved in the financial industry started after the financial crisis. So there is a very, there's a a one-third chance that the person that you have managing your money has never seen a bear market. So, you know, this is why a lot of this, and again, this is partly due to the Fed, Partly what's been going on with, you know, markets over the last year. But what happens is, is that after the financial, uh, after the dot-com crash, a lot of financial advisors left the industry and there was a whole new crop that came in after the dot-com crash because, again, businesses, you know, fail. Financial businesses fail during, during bear markets. Um, people get disinterested in, you know, doing this business <laughs> in a bear market. It's not nearly as fun as a bull market. Um, as Bob Farrell once said, bull markets are a lot more fun than bear markets. Um, also, after the financial crisis, big, again, another big washout of financial advisors uh, left the industry. Um, you know, just, again, a lot of businesses went out. Hedge funds went out of business. Uh, financial advisors went out of business, etc. So a whole new crop of individuals came in. And this has been a very long kind of, sec- uh, kind of cyclical bull market here since 2009, 12 years sucked in a lot of new advisors coming in that have never seen and been through a bear market. So it's not surprising that you see a lot of the passive investing, buy and hold type analysis that's been rising over the course. Of course, buy the dip, that was a big thing. Uh, Because again, every time the market had faltered previously, the Fed has been there to kind of bail things out. Well, this time has not been the case so far. Uh, Markets are down 20%. Now, the good news is, is that July and tends to be a little bit better month. And more importantly, the S&P has, is, is now on track for the second worst start to a year on record. The NASDAQ is actually having the worst start to a new year ever on record. Now, interestingly, of course, is that in 2001 and 2008, those were also right up there in terms of some of the worst starts of a new year. But this this year for the NASDAQ is actually the worst on record. Now, again, if we're looking back to the dot-com crisis as an era to compare to and say, well, is this bad start to a new year similar to 2001? Yeah. 
and the NASDAQ had more to go to the downside before that bear market was over. Uh, same thing in 2008. Worst first six months uh, to a new year start for the NASDAQ back in 2008. More to go in the last half of that year, of course. You know, when we got into September, October of 2008, that was the Lehman crisis and, and the faltering of the markets at that point. So just because we've had a very tough start to a new year doesn't mean it can't get worse. But what separates the difference between a rough start to a new year and a continued bear market? Well, that's whether or not we get into a recession. And this is something that Michael Leibowitz and I will talk about this morning is, you know, the signs of recession. But one of the things that keeps bothering me is the fact that everybody's predicting a recession. And that's normally not the case. Um, recessions are generally not very well predicted. And if we have a recession now, this will be the most well-predicted recession ever on record because everybody's expecting one. So is it a guarantee that we'll have a recession? And does that guarantee a continued bear market to the downside? Not necessarily. But this is where ultimately, as I said, you know, when we talk about one third of the people in the financial industry have never seen a bear market. This is where experience plays out. Now, two things happen during bear markets. You either use experience to navigate the bear market or you gain a lot of experience from the bear market. <laughs> and, and from people that have been through bear markets previously, you know, they've been warning about this. They've been talking about the risk of a bear market, talking about risk management strategy. Again, something that Mike and I will get into a lot more detail this morning. But, you know, this is where that experience comes home to roost. There, there always seems to be times in markets where, yeah, previous logic doesn't really seem to prevail, right? I mean, we saw that in 2020, 2021, as all this liquidity came flooding into the financial markets, you know, just, you know, there was nothing you could do wrong. Buy bankrupt companies, that was okay. They went up. And of course, every, you know, all the old boomers were over there going, if you do that, you're going to wind up losing money. Everybody's like, ah, you just don't get it. No, we get it. Been there before, done that. Uh, we know how this story ends. And of course, it ended just as it was predicted. So it's not surprising, but this is where really kind of, as we say, the rubber meets the road. So again, just kind of paying attention to that. Now, again, as we wrap up the quarter today, that's going to alleviate some pressure on the markets. Again, have a shortened holiday week next week um, as well. That should give a little bit of, of potential stability to markets. We'll see. Now, importantly, as we've talked about here over the last few days, what's critically important is that we hold these lows that we set back here just a, a couple of weeks ago and that those lows kind of continue to hold. And if those lows can hold here and we start to form a base, now, if we rally, if we uh, you know, go down to where those previous lows are, we'll be pretty deviated below the 50-day moving average again. Normally, that's where we find a little bit of support for stocks. So there's a reasonable idea here we could get some support for stocks in the short term after we get through today. Again, July tends to be a little bit better performing month. But the big issue here is that seasonality hasn't worked this year. We, you know, um, there's, you know, the first half of the year, typically the seasonally strong period of the year, that didn't work. Uh, June tends to be a little bit better month for stocks. That wasn't the case. So hopefully, you know, July also tends to be a little bit better month for stocks. It's not fantastic. It's generally up about six tenths of a percent on a month on average. But hey, that's better than a sharp stick in the eye considering you're down over 6% for the month in June. Um, you know, again, not a lot of, of potential here, but 
seasonality has been broken this year on a lot of different fronts. And, you know, that has also been a very frustrating issue for investors because just the news flow has been so very terrible all year long, starting, you know, back in January, February, you know, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, that really has just been putting pressure on markets. The Fed getting more aggressive about rate hikes, inflation data. Now it's economic data, as we saw yesterday, more economic data coming out, really talk, uh, you know, really kind of pressing down on financial valuations and trying to rebalance those valuations with what's going on in the economy. That's what's driving this market. And this is gonna take a while to work through and navigate through, but Again, this is just part of the process. So again, a lot of stuff to talk about this morning. When we come back, we'll pick up a little bit talking about experience, markets, economy, uh, your money, and how it works with Michael Leibowitz right after the break. Don't go away. More coming up on The Real Investment Show this morning. We'll get into it right after the break. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Hurricane season is here. And along the Texas Gulf Coast, we know how to prepare. What we don't always know is which way the storm will go and if a hurricane does come your way, whether your house will flood. Fortunately, you can get flood insurance. Unfortunately, flood insurance rates have skyrocketed. Don't be at risk. Let the specialists at RIA Insurance assess your needs and shop your coverage for the best rates possible. Another service from realinvestmentadvice.com. Click on the insurance tab, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. So I've decided that when I die, I definitely want to come back as a dog. As a dog? As a dog. And I'm, I think preferably um, like an English bulldog. <laughs> and the reason is, is that a guy uh, has an English bulldog and he puts a Fitbit on his dog. And he leaves the house for four hours. He says, look, I expect you to have a thousand steps in by the time I get back home. So he leaves his house for four hours comes back four hours later the dog's upside down in the bed sleeping and he looks at the fitbit and the dog had had 108 steps all day so <laughs> this is my kind of life right yeah. right right there <laughs> so if i get down to 108 steps a day i've achieved greatness <laughs> so anyway good morning welcome back to the show of course uh as we kind of wrap up this last day of the quarter uh, for a lot of people, it's just like, thank goodness it's over. And as I was saying a second ago, you know, this has been a very tough first half of the year. In fact, it's been the worst on record. Uh, the NASDAQ, as I said, is having the worst start to a new year, the first six months of a year ever on record. And that's, you know, this goes back, you know, to, to the 1920s. The Dow's having its second worst start to the year. Uh, sorry, I'm sorry, I apologize. The Dow's having the fifth worst start to, the, to a year. And uh, the S&P is uh, right up there in the second worst start to the year. So, again, just kind of really no matter where you look at stocks, it's just been a very tough road uh, this year for investors. And, you know, the issue, of course, is that as we have this, um, 
you know, um, rough start to the year that, you know, we're not really getting any kind of relief. Every time that, you know, it looks like markets are set up for a bounce, you know, you get a bounce and it just fails and you wind up right kind of back up in the soup again. So you never have this opportunity to really navigate markets as much as you think. And this, and this is where it really starts to weigh on that emotional side. And this is where investors start making emotionally based decisions of, you know, I just got to get out. I, I, you know, I just got to avert loss. And this is one of those psychological, emotional biases that occur with investors. And it's called loss aversion, ironically, uh, which is where you start doing anything you can just to avert loss. Now, the problem is that we've talked about before is that once you start this loss aversion process, it's very difficult to get back into the markets. So because once you're out, you're like, Whew, thank goodness I'm out. You know, I'm, I'm not losing any money. And so every day the market's down, you're like, ha ha, I'm out. This is great. And then when the market starts going back up again, you go, OK, well, you know, it's just going to crash again. Saw this before. Every time it goes up, it goes down again. And so I'm just going to I'm not going to do anything. And then it keeps going up and it's like, yeah, it's still going to crash. Don't worry about it. Um, and then it keeps going up some more. Um, and then you start saying, OK, well, when it pulls back to where it was, you know, then I'll get in and it doesn't, you know, you get a little bit of pullback and it doesn't go very far. And then it, then it turns right around, and starts going up again. Then you wind up in this position of, well, it's, it's now now we're back to overvalued. It's overbought. Now I can't buy it. I'll have to wait. And again, as Danny and I have talked about before, we have people coming into our office now, 12 years later, that have been out of the market since 2009 just for that reason. But that's the big danger of loss aversion. And this is one of those psychological traps we get into where, you know, we start making very bad decisions. Other things we do very badly is we anchor. We uh, look at where we were at the beginning of this year and, oh, my gosh, the world is terrible. I'm losing all this money from the beginning of this year. Yes, markets are down, but the markets are still higher than they were at the 2019 peak. So it's always important to keep perspective on where you are. We had 120% advance in markets from the 2020 lows, and you're not even back to the 2020 peaks yet. So uh, again, they, these are those, those things that we do. We kind of lose perspective in the markets, and that's what leads to worse decisions. Michael Leibowitz joining me this morning talking about, you know, this, this thought process of emotions and experience. And as I said, you know, 31% of advisors in the markets today have never seen a bear market. And we see a lot of them on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> you know, got a lot of guys on Twitter that are out there, throwing, you know, distilling, you know, advice. And in fact, I wrote an article not too long ago, uh, right in the heat of the moment when we we're having all this monetary liquidity run up. And there was this whole rash of young YouTubers that were launching these YouTube channels, getting hundreds of thousands of followers, and they were making half a million dollars a year distilling investment advice about how to buy Bitcoin and meme stocks and all this type of stuff. And they basically had three rules to being a successful YouTuber, which is, you know, always sell the dream, never be bearish, and things are always, it's always a good time to buy, right? So as long as you're doing that, you can make a lot of money on YouTube. Of course, a lot of those guys have now vanished um, you know, this year. So again, it's just not... 
as easy as it always seems. And, and, and as Mike will tell you, um, he and I have both been through several bear markets in our lives. Um, experience is a brutal teacher. Good morning, Mike. How are you? I'm doing great, Lance. How are you? Good. So, I mean, yeah, this is, uh, you know, we see a lot of these guys on Twitter, you know, never seen a bear market, never been through a bear market. You know, this is this is a tough market that we're in right now. And, you know, one of the ch big challenges is just trying to na navigate this without, you know, um, you know, making a lot of these emotional mistakes we were just talking about. Right. So so there were a couple of things that you said that I think are worth discussing. The first one is the uh, you posted a great chart this morning, which showed, you know, like you discussed, that about a third of investors have came around after the financial crisis. And it's been, what, 12, 14 years. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, that makes sense. And I think what they have learned is that fundamentals don't matter. Technicals matter because that 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 manages that that tends to highlight our emotions and quantifies it. But what really matters is what the Fed's doing. The Fed has become such a big player in this market that in, in years like 20, later 20 and 21, when the Fed has their foot gunned on the gas pedal, it doesn't the, the more speculative you are, the more risky you are, the better you will do. Mm -hmm. and, and that's a lesson. And those 33% of investors, that may be the only lesson they have. They hit the industry when they're 22, 23, 24, and they just saw the Fed gun out of the, the great financial crisis with exceptional, you know, exceptionally low rates and quantitative easing. Then they followed up in 2012, 2014, I'm probably getting the years wrong, but they followed up three other times and even in 2019. Mm -hmm. And then once again, in 2020, things get bad. The market's off 20 plus percent. What does the Fed do? They drop rates to zero. They hit the gas pedal as hard as they can. This time they got a, uh, you know, turbocharged Mustang <laughs> instead of a Dodge Dart. Right. So. So you look at these kids and what do they know? That's all they know. Mm. What they don't seem to appreciate because they really haven't seen it is what happens when the Fed hits the brakes. The Fed really hasn't hit the brakes all too often in the last, uh, you know, in their careers, call it the last 15, 12, 15 years. The Fed's hitting the brakes, right? Unfortunately, now old timers like us appreciate fundamentals. We appreciate what company are you buying? What do they do? Are they, are you paying too much for their earnings? What are their earnings going to be like? We, you know, all kinds of, if you were going to buy, buy a business for yourself, a local business, you know, I kind of talk about that a lot. What do you look for if you're going to buy the local business? That's where you should be evaluating stocks. How much are you paying for each dollar of earnings? But it's become a game of liquidity and the biggest provider of liquidity. And look, we can debate this all day. And on Twitter, I get into this debate and I get out of it quickly now. I've learned my lesson. Yeah. And that the debate is what does and doesn't the Fed do? And we can debate all day how much they do directly mm -hmm. and indirectly. And there's no arguing that they there are things they do directly that provide liquidity, but there's also a lot of things just in their speak that they do indirectly. And I believe it was Ben Bernanke who said that 95% of what we do with monetary policy is talk. That's right. Basically, they persuade. They persuade. So again, we can debate their role in liquidity, but they drive liquidity. And right now, they're telling you to get out of the pool. They're, they're, they're draining liquidity. Um, 
and but, that but, I think. But that's an interesting point, though, too, right? Uh, and we've and I've had a lot of emails on this lately about well, but look at the balance sheet; it's not going down, and they're supposed to be tapering. And this is part of that misunderstanding about you know what taper is. Also, is that you know they're just simply replacing bonds that are rolling off the balance sheet. Doesn't mean they're actually reducing their balance sheet. That's two very different things. But again, a lot of this, to your point, has been you know talk and a lot of verbal you know um, <laughs> gymnastics, shall we say, <laughs> to try to get their message across without you know crashing gymnastics the markets, right? Nice, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, the, you know, they're but they do have to walk a very tight rope. You know, they can't come out. Jerome Powell can't come out and say. You know, look, uh, we're way behind the curve here. We're going to have to hike rates, and it's going to cause a really bad recession in the next three to six months. We know it, but there's no way to avoid it. I mean, if they said that, you know, the market would be down 2,000 points in a day, and we'd be in a recession tomorrow, right? I mean, so they have to walk this very fine rope of these of these verbal gymnastics to try to get the message out there to the markets um, and try to kind of guide things into a direction they want to go without actually just causing a sheer panic. Right. Right. And, you know, this is the problem with them being too big of a power. If they were much less of a market power, they could kind of speak their mind a mm -hmm. lot more and the effect would be much less. Well, but when the, you but look, Mike, Mike, we need to go back to the 1990s. And, you know, in the 1990s, if you ask somebody on the street who's who's the chairman of the Federal Reserve, they had no idea. You know, the, the, the Federal Reserve was this kind of invisible entity kind of behind the curtain that was pulling some strings. But very few people outside of maybe people in the financial circle itself really even knew what the Fed was. And now... You know, we've got Ben Bernanke on the cover of the Atlantic Times named the hero, right? I mean, it's just we've now gone, you know, to this uh, again. We, you know, the Fed came out from behind this curtain. Now they're this major player in the financial markets. I don't think it's for the better. We'll talk about that when we come back for the break. Don't go away. Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. In 1999, a parafiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients' best interest. These men promptly escaped from a high-cost margin environment to the Houston Energy Corridor. Today, still excoriated by their former employers, they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. So just for the break, talking a little bit about... Um, you know, experience is a, a bit of a brutal teacher in markets and a lot of investors and, and investment advisors, as I was, as we were talking about, 31% of investment advisors of people in the financial industry, um, people that come in have, have decided to make financial advising a career, is about 31% of people that have 
never seen a bear market. And of course, for a lot of investors, a number way higher than that, I would probably suggest <coughs> more than 50% of investors today have probably never been through a bear market. And that's kind of normal statistics going back you know, throughout history, because bear markets tend to wipe out a lot of investors in markets. You know, a lot of people that came into the markets in 1995, you know, left the markets in 2001 and two after the dot-com crash, didn't come back. Same thing after 2008. A lot of investors that came in prior to the financial crisis left the markets, never came back. So, you know, this is why if you take a look throughout history, I'm, in, fact, in fact, I'm writing an article on this now, is that after three of the, the largest bear markets in financial history that occurred, right, uh, that, you know, 1990 to 2000, 2003 to 2008, and of course, this massive bear market, bull market that we've had from 2009 till, till you know, really 20, the end of 2021, um, you know, though, even after three of those major bull markets, 80% of Americans have less than $1,000 to invest in the bank. So it just goes to show you that investing doesn't work the way that the media tells you. You know, you know just stick five, you know, just stick, you know, $100 in S&P fund every month and hold on to it. And over time, you're going to make all this money. It doesn't work because people, A, um, you know, studies show this repeatedly. People, A, don't have enough free cash flow to invest. Two, they make a lot of emotional mistakes in investing their money. So they sell at the wrong, they buy at the wrong time, they buy at market highs, they sell at market lows. And then, of course, over time, they just get wiped out of markets because of just bad decisions. And they, they, they literally run out of capital and they don't invest. And that's why, you know, when you take a look at financial statistics, it's actually a pretty grim number. But as, I was, as we're talking about just for the break, you know, the, the, one of the big differences is, is that prior to 2000, nobody knew who the Federal Reserve was to any, to any great degree. They weren't headlined front and center on TV all day long. Of course, we didn't have CNBC and Bloomberg back in the early in the 80s and the early 90s. Um, but since this whole really financialization of the markets and turning it into casino in 2000 and forward, now, as Mike was saying, the Federal Reserve is the player. Um, it's, you know, uh, Mike has an article out uh, on our website right now that he wrote yesterday called Don't Fight the Fed. And, you know, this has been the mantra for the last 12 years. Don't fight the Fed. And it's interesting now everybody wants to fight the Fed. You know, don't fight the Fed on the way up when they're providing liquidity, but fight them on the way down when they're not. <laughs> it doesn't make a lot of sense. But, you know, Mike, this is kind of the point of the article is that, you know, the Fed is extracting liquidity. So don't fight the Fed, right? Yeah. And I have, I was kind of thinking about this yesterday. We had our pre production talk yep. where we basically review what we're, you know, some of the topics that we should discuss on this on the morning call. And, uh, we both said, let's let's avoid the Fed. We got to <laughs> avoid the Fed. Let's just talk about markets. I'm like, absolutely. I'm tired of talking about the Fed. It seems like every time I'm on, you know, at least a quarter to half is about the Federal Reserve. Yeah. And, you know, the problem is, as we're learning today, that all roads lead to the Federal Reserve. Mm -hmm. Right. We can talk about technicals. We can talk about fundamentals. But at the end of the day, it's the, the guy giving out the money, the guy taking away the money, which is driving markets. And the way that I kind of explain this to, to people, to kind of family, friends, my children, is, you know, why do we care about the Fed? And you can kind of relate this to a completely free market or a completely, you know, communist Soviet Union type market. In the Soviet Union, the Soviet Union 
set the price of goods. They said, okay, this week corn is going to be four bucks, a you know, four bucks, and gas is going to be three, and wheat's going to be eight. And those were the prices. And if they're, you know, the, the black markets, because there were no financial markets necessarily, the black markets would gravitate towards those prices. So you could say that back in the Soviet Union, you had to watch what the Soviet Union was doing. That was your Fed. Right now, mm -hmm. I'm not saying the Fed <laughs> is the Soviet Union. But what I'm saying is over the last 30 years, there's a continuum. And sorry. And we're not at that level anymore. Right. You know, the Fed is becoming a market driver. It's not the only driver. Look, I'm not I'm not saying that the Fed is is responsible for everything, but it's not a hundred percent free market either. So just like anything, who's driving the market, right? In part of twenty late twenty and twenty twenty one, it was, you know, people like some of these very speculative hedge funds or my son and his friends, new entrants to the market that thought things could only go up. So you follow them. And the Fed is just another huge player. Now, a lot of people don't appreciate them, and that's where there's a problem. They don't understand what they can and can't do, so they assign a lot of credit to them. And, and this is you know, this is why all roads always lead back to the Fed with our conversations. And and my concern is, Lance, that when we're sitting here in 2028, we, we, we've tipped that scale even more towards the Soviet Union and away from free markets. In free markets, it should be fundamentals. Mm -hmm. It should be the market setting interest rates, not the Fed setting interest rates. It should be technicals become more powerful. Fundamentals are more powerful demographics, economic activity, all the things that that really drive the earnings from a company mm -hmm. are what should matter. And we're slowly slipping towards what matters is what does Jerome Powell think about this, that and the other. And it's not even Jerome Powell. Right. I mean, you know, we talk about all these other Fed members and the market's hanging on every word of not just Jerome Powell, but everyone. If someone says something slightly out of line, something more dovish or more hawkish, the market freaks out because it's, what are they changing? Is something changing? Yeah. What, what's going on here? Are they are they gonna do more? Are they gonna do less? Well, and, 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 and that's, that, but that's kind of where we are right now, Mike, right? I mean, you take a look at this economic absolutely. data that's come out over the last few days, the Richmond Fed, the Dallas Fed, you know, we've got today, we've got personal income expending numbers, which will probably not be all that exciting. But in, instead of looking at that data, it's like, Okay, that data was bad, so maybe that'll mean the Fed will pivot sooner. Right. Um, you know, everything goes good is bad, just, bad is good. Yeah, yeah, and and it's just everything goes back to what will this make the Fed do? Because markets are now solely dependent on, as you said, that monetary decision, and and everybody's just everybody in the market. And this is also kind of an interesting thing is that despite you know we saw consumer sentiment numbers out this week. And you know, consumer sentiment on stocks is extremely low, right? I mean, individuals hate the stock market, but they're not selling anything. Their allocations are near record highs because they're afraid right. that any moment now the Fed's going to pivot and this market's going to running off to the moon and they're going to miss out. Right, right. And and it it can happen so quick, right? Mm -hmm. We talking about, you know, who I think it was St. Louis Fed president, was it Bullard, like in a month or two ago? said maybe we'll stall in July, stall or in September, October. Stall meaning that we'll just take a break. We won't raise rates. We'll see what's going on. We'll assess the mm -hmm. situation. 
and the market ran for a week or two, right? It was a nice bear market rally. This is the St. Louis, no offense to anyone listening to from St. Louis, <laughs> but this is the president of the St. Louis Fed. This isn't even Jerome Powell or the vice right. chair or someone high up, you know, he's high up in the organization, but this is not, not a leader of the Fed, right? They're hanging on every word what yeah. these people say. And Lance, you said it, the Fed hasn't really reduced their balance sheet yet. And I, I think some of that is just the way that they calculated and the way settlements happen. Mm. I think it, you know, we will see it coming down in July, August, September, like they've said they're going to do. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, this is about following the Fed. And the Fed right now is telling us that they're going to do everything they can to fight inflation. So until we start seeing inflation come down, I think the Fed has no choice but to keep doing what they're doing and talking the way they're talking. Now that can change, right? If the markets really have problems, if credit spreads blow out, if there are other financial stability issues, the Fed may say, you know, we got to hold on a little bit here. Mm -hmm. But right now they seem very tolerant of market losses, of yields rising, of some foreign problems starting to, to occur, uh, the dollar, the dollar taking off. So, but I th I you think, know, until they. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think you have to look at it from their point of view, though, too, which is right now the market's been fairly orderly. This is this hasn't been, you know, uh, like a Lehman moment where markets are just crashing around the corners and credit spreads are blowing out. You know, volatilities remain low. Stocks are declining, but it's been fairly orderly. And I think that's giving the, the Fed room to talk this tough talk that they're going to fight inflation. And I agree with you. I think they're going to keep hiking rates, but until they break something. And, and, and then it will be about financial stability once again. It's just, you know, it's a I think it's more of a race against time. In fact, I'm, you know, I was kind of writing this in, in, uh, for this newsletter this weekend is that it's, it's almost a race against time. The Fed needs to get interest rates off of zero. They need to get interest rates as high as they can so they have room to lower rates when the recession comes. I don't think there's much arguing that we're going to be in a recession, if not this year, next year. And they've got to have that room to lower rates. So it's more of a race against time to see where they can get to before they have to start cutting rates. And then that's going to be the big question for the markets. Um, quick break. We'll come back. Get ready to wrap up the show. I want to switch gears here just a little bit. Talk about some of the economic data that's coming out as well. Because, you know, again, as we take a look at where we are, you know, in this data, a lot of, the, a lot of this data is suggesting that the economy is about to get even weaker than it is right now. I'll be right back after the break. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Hurricane season is here. And along the Texas Gulf Coast, we know how to prepare. What we don't always know is which way the storm will go and if a hurricane does come your way, whether your house will flood. Fortunately, you can get flood insurance. Unfortunately, flood insurance rates have skyrocketed. Don't be at risk. Let the specialists at RIA Insurance assess your needs and shop your coverage for the best rates possible. Another service from realinvestmentadvice.com. Click on the insurance tab, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. 
Welcome back to the show this morning. So uh, as, as uh, talking about, you know, the economy is definitely showing signs of slowing down. Funny story yesterday, my daughter standing in the uh, kitchen and uh, she's eating her lunch that I just bought her and talking about she's so excited about going to Texas Tech here in the fall. She's uh, just she's already like packing up room she went to the store the other day bought a broom i'm like honey you can buy a broom in texas tech she goes you don't understand everything gets sold out there and i'm like okay fine stick it in your car drive a broom supply and demand dad exactly and so you know she's all excited about going she goes i just can't wait to be on my own i go you have no idea what's coming (laughs) i go you have a lot of freedom here, right? You, uh, you, you, you know, you pay for your car, you pay for your insurance, you go to work. That's all awesome. We appreciate you doing that very much. But there's a lot of stuff that uh, is still paid for, like room, board, food, stuff you're eating right now. And so, you know, yes, you're about to be on your own because you are off the payroll. And and she's like, I know, I understand, but I'm just so excited about doing it on my own. I'm like, I'm excited for you too. And I'm excited about saving the money. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see. Mike, Mike already has this under control because Mike's already got kids in college. They're doing their thing, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. these these are my two. My oldest, my oldest is really on his own right now. He just graduated. That's college. right. That's right. So now, now he's learning that someone was paying for his cell phone and car insurance <laughs> and all those things that just come free. Yeah. Apparently, someone paid the bill for those. Well, this is but this is that wake up call, right, that they get. And all of a sudden, you know, it's, you know, things start to matter a whole lot more about the job market and the economy and inflation and, you know, paying for gas, these type of things. Right. All of a sudden he has two jobs. He uh, <laughs> is going to be a waiter on top of his regular job right now. Funny how that works. Yeah, exactly. So he never he, took two jobs when he was home during the summer. Right. So he's so he's graduated. And uh, so he's out looking for a full time job now. Or what's he doing? He's uh, he's got a great internship. He wants to do he wants to be involved in sports. Okay. so he's working for a minor league soccer team in Madison, Wisconsin, and he loves it. And he's doing all kinds of great stuff on the marketing side, but they don't pay that well. Right. So it's an internship and it's a starter gig and that's exactly the way it's supposed to work. It is. And he's paying the price. Now he's going to be working another five, six hours a night at a, at Dorado, El Dorado restaurant serving (laughs) fajitas. So, but you know, let's let's be, let's be honest. You can't call fajitas in Wisconsin fajitas. That's a Texas thing. Yeah. Right. (laughs) That's like, they're just, all they're serving is flank steak and tortillas. That's what they're, that's what they're serving. but they got you on the cheese and the beer that accompany the fajitas. Probably. We, we'll definitely get, we'll definitely give them so actually, that. Actually, what a so. great combination, right? Texas and Wisconsin. <laughs> what more do you need in life? But maybe we should start that in Texas. You know, we'll I'll, bring Wisconsin I'll cheese. I'll bet the cheese is really good, though. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll import Wisconsin, cheese. We'll, yeah. we'll import Wisconsin cheese and, mm-hmm. you know, pour that on top of the fajitas. There you go. And serve beer. So there you go. Anyway, uh, but but this is kind of an interesting point to where we are. I mean, right now, if you take a look at jobless claims, uh, those remain fairly low. We've got jobless claims numbers coming out this morning. So it'll be interesting to see kind of what's going there. We've seen those jobless claims numbers ticking up here a bit. And, you know, we're talking about the risk of a recession as you know, we start moving towards, you know, and particularly as we watch this economic data and, and as you know, and as we've been reporting on in our daily commentary kind of all week long, you know, is the Dallas uh, Fed index or the or the 
uh, Richmond Fed Index, they, they're all showing very sharp slowdowns in economic activity. Um, you know, and this is going to impact a lot of these, you know, uh, a lot of these job markets over the course of the next, you know, several months. And today we've got personal income, personal spending, um, real personal spending, which is inflation adjusted. Now, these, these numbers always follow the GDP report. And yesterday we saw GDP get revised down a bit, uh, came in at negative 1.6 for the first quarter. That was the final revision to the first quarter data. Now we're going to start getting the second quarter data. That's right now, according to the Atlanta Fed, around 0.3 for the second quarter. So, you know, but some of the numbers that are coming out today, I think that are going to be the most important to pay attention to are the PCE numbers. Now, these are the personal consumption expenditures reports. Now, personal consumption expenditures make up roughly about 70% of the GDP number. So that GDP number that we saw yesterday inside of that is the personal consumption expenditures report, which is what you and I spend. So when Mike goes out and, and buys beer and cheese and I go out and buy fajitas, that's our contribution. That's our personal consumption in the economy. So that's about 70% of GDP. So very important component. Well, today we're going to see the deflators of that. So that's the inflate. What, what was the inflation measure to those PCE components? And this is also one of the things that, um, you know, the Fed pays most attention to more so than CPI. The Fed pays attention to the personal consumption expenditures inflation data. That's that's they looked at trend, what they call the trimmed mean PCE uh, number. And that's really what they're basing a lot of their uh, monetary decisions on. Um, so, Mike, I mean, kind of probably expect to see this a little bit weaker uh, today than than uh, what was previously reported just because of the downgrade in GDP. Yeah, and I presume this will drive the Atlanta Fed in their next forecast and will mm -hmm. potentially move it positive or negative. I think today's PCE number, you know, it could come in lower than expected. And if that happens, the stock market could get a nice boost today. It's it's starting pretty low level. You know, it's down, S&P's down roughly 50 points, I think, 55, yeah. something like that. Yep. But you get a, a soft uh, PCE number, you could spark bond yields to lower, stocks prices to go higher. And conversely, if it shocks again to the upper side, it's going to scare investors because mm -hmm. that's the number the Fed really looks at. They don't. They look at CPI, but they and they give it lip service. But it's really PCE is the one they really care about. The other thing, Lance, that I'm going to look at is earnings versus inflation in today's numbers. Mm -hmm. And the expectations are that incomes will rise 0.5 percent for the month, but inflation will rise. I think it's 0.7 or 0.8 percent. So the problem with that is they're basically telling you that. On average, people, workers, are falling behind by about three-tenths of a percent in the month, right. meaning they're falling behind by about three-and-a-half percent for the year. So what no one tells anyone is that they just got a three-and-a-half percent pay cut. Mm -hmm. That's essentially what's going on. I know your your paycheck is the same that it was last week and the week before and the, the two months before that, but it, consumers are getting pay cuts. And they're being on top of that, they're being forced to spend more money on gas and food, providing them less on other things. And it's not just the lower class. We, we talked about this yesterday, Lance, and it was fascinating within the University of Michigan mm -hmm. sentiment. The upper 33 percent of wage earners were actually less confident, had less less confident about their consumption than the bottom 33 percent of wage earners. That's never happened. 
there's all there's always more confidence for those making more money, as you would suspect. Right. So the question, you know, I, I think the big question is what is why are the top 33 percent of wage earners so uh, lacking confidence to this degree? And there's probably a couple of things. One is political and there's no way to quantify that. How many of them are Republicans versus Democrats? And that's an issue that it's not even worth talking about here, but but it is a driver of it. But I think the other one is the wealth effect. Mm -hmm. What's going on in the stock and bond markets? And that affects the upper 33 percent much more than the lower 33. And then you have inflation, which, you know, it it, it stinks when you have to fill up <laughs> your tank for a hundred dollars. Right. I mean, that's it's not like you're buying something cool that you can have like a nice couple of shirts or even going out for a nice, you know, not even a nice dinner anymore, an average dinner of fajitas and beer and cheese. But, yeah. but you know, a hundred bucks to fill your tank is, is painful. Yeah. There's a, there's a country Western song that, um, it goes, basically talks about how he goes to the gas station and fills up his tank and, you know, buys some lottery tickets and buys beer for a hundred dollars. And now you can't even get the beer, right? All you can do is fill up your car. So, you know, it's, it's just kind of getting depressing, but I think that's right. Is that, you know, look, you know, the NFIB report, the national federation of independent business is always an interesting report to look at because these are small business owners and it, that, that component does lean heavily to the right because most business owners are, capitalist right and and they tend to be more conservative um in running their businesses and and so not surprisingly their their politics tend to lean more to the right um but you can see that there's a a very clear impact between what's happening politically on their attitudes not not from the standpoint of you know roe versus wade or anything like that but specifically to things that impact the business environment you know you know threats to changes of taxes um you know impacts to oil and gas drilling a lot of the small business owners are involved in oil and gas drilling in some part so you know when they make you know decisions at in washington that have a negative impact on taxes employment um you know, uh, you know, drilling these type of things that has a very big negative impact on the sentiment of these business owners. And and again, this this plays into the fact that, you know, roughly 60 percent of all of all businesses. Right. So when we talk about Apple and Microsoft and Google, these make up about 10,000 businesses of the 6 million businesses that have active employees in the U.S. There's you know, this is one of the big misnomers about business. You know, the majority of business owners are small businesses, and they are very much impacted by decisions that impact their businesses. And we're seeing that sentiment, Mike, just as you said a second ago, falling very rapidly with the markets and with the political environment that we're in now, certainly not making that environment better for them. All right, that wraps up the show for the day. Got to get back to uh, three minutes of Markets Money. Be coming up here in a few minutes. Michael Leibowitz's article is on the website right now uh, talking about don't fight the Fed. Very good read. You should get that at our website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Of course, uh, check out SimpleVisor. We have all of our tools. Uh, we've got a new charting system coming in here very shortly. Uh, that's at simplevisor.com along with all the automated portfolios there. And, of course, as always, uh, plenty of uh, time to email questions, ask questions. Mike and I answer those questions every single day. So just let us know what we can do for you. That's all right there, realinvestmentadvice.com. All right, have a great day. Be back here tomorrow for Financial Fitness Friday. See you then.